0: i Time SportsNet night of the Fan Ben Ennis Blake Murphy back in studio here and uh sorry like I'm I'm super distracted right now Blake because chaotic start <laughs> I, uh, these are new headphones they're like I don't know they, they fit firmly on my giant skull I I they, and they're producing great sound unfortunately it's the sound of my voice but yeah they they're they're this is like new equipment now the chairs are still you know, prehistoric. And we're still using like the 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 seat cushions from somebody's patio set. But yeah, new headphones, it's a start. I don't want to burst your bubble. What? What? Well, I'm looking at the
1: headphones to my right here. Oh no. And you notice I have these nice headphones. But these are Yours. my personal headphones. Right. My guess, someone left their personal
0: headphones in your spot there. Oh. So you're saying and that those her- are one day only new headphones for you. <laughs> that would that'd be a bummer. Um, maybe somebody, whoever the, the rightful owner of these headphones are, maybe they just want to, you know, make a contribution to this this radio station and and just leave them here forever. Anyways, they feel real, real good. And I, I don't know. I like new things. Actually, the microphone kind of looks like it's new, too. I'm telling you, Blake, some weird st- – uh, okay, you're shaking your head no. At least like the, the – and I'll get off of this – um, in a second here, but it, no, like the the mount that the microphone's on, it it, it used to be like kind of like hanging there, but now, but now it's no, it looks like a professional radio studio. I'm telling you, yeah, it might just be that someone wiped it down with an alcohol wipe. That might
1: be all <laughs> the difference you're noticing. I don't know if there have been those kind of changes going on here. I, I had to work from home the last yeah. you know few shows, um, so I, I don't have an answer for you other than I've always. Brought my own headphones in as a matter of, I don't know. I'm not like a germaphobe or anything, but yeah, cause you ears do, are a bit yeah. of a
0: weird spot to, to share with several people over the course of the day. Oh, that's interesting. I, n- I never even thought about, yeah, I don't know, getting getting germs through my ear holes. But I suppose that is a, a, a matter of transmission. It's not
1: even germs. It's just, <laughs> it's not a, I don't well, know. It's a, it's a weird spot. <laughs> ears are odd. Well, yeah, it's, I we're not sharing, like, earbuds, right? right? Like, there's no, these aren't filled with wax, <laughs> but I don't know. It just, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of sharing equipment.
0: All right, okay. Uh, you I, should buy your own microphone. You should bring your, you could. You could bring your own microphone. There's a little a plug at the back. You could just plug it right in there. Bring your own microphone.
1: No. Okay.
0: I'm, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. Your <laughs> cleanliness <laughs> has, a, a, a like, a level at which, yeah, well, you're not going to spend. Well,
1: also, like, I'm a, I'm a avid music listener so Mm -hmm. i have good headphones anyway Uh, like i own good headphones and like i have another set that's like this on my like when i do shows from home these ones stay in my backpack like i have i just own good headphones as a matter of being a music fan i do not i have my microphone at home for like when we record from home yeah but i don't like have on me at all times a studio quality microphone like i do (laughs) with headphones
0: oh okay all right
1: we'll work on that
0: hey christmas is coming so it is. Did you decide to get me a gift or not? <laughs> Maybe it's a microphone. I got a couple of days uh, until we say goodbye for the holidays. All right. Uh, let's get into today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota, your local Toyota store since 1969. Come for the history. Stay for the future. Duffer North, the steals. Um, The Leafs look really good uh, against the team that they're likely to, to face in the first round. Yet again, look dominant, kind of like dominant. Like they looked in game one of that, that seven game series A year ago and no, nothing matters in regards to, you know, your evaluation whether this team can finally win a first round series and whether they can knock off the team that's been in seemingly every single Stanley Cup final since uh we can remember the Tampa Bay Lightning. But man, if if you called that a measuring stick game, which sure, in in the terms of regular season one of eighty two, it's as big as it gets. And this team's not at full strength, and it's not as good as we expected to look after the trade deadline. I mean, we'll get to that in just a second. Couldn't have been more impressed by the display the Maple Leafs put on yesterday. Could not have been more impressed with the display the Leafs put on. Could not have
1: been more underwhelmed by the display the Lightning put on. However... I'm going to burst my own bubble here. I came out of that one being like, huh, the Lightning don't don't look that great. And, you know, I was a little underwhelmed with them when they beat the Leafs in overtime earlier in the season as well. A friend of the show, 67 Sound on Twitter, said that their no Tampa Bay's no-show felt almost disrespectful, like how the Sundeen-era Leafs would get smoked by the Sens in the regular season every year. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh. Knowing that they would obliterate them come playoff time uh, with some level of... Certainty, so uh, that took the wind out of my sails. Seeing that comparison, I was like, "Ooh, it does, it does feel like that. it's like how the Raptors for years would yep. celebrate regular season wins against the Cavs. One hundred percent. We're here, yeah. we're
0: back, we're on your radar, and then sweep. Except that nobody's buying into that, right? Like, and and again, like we're. Not downplaying the significance of the game, but it is one of 82 and it's a regular season game. And okay, they've lost in overtime and they've uh, beaten the Lightning once in regulation this season. Again, nothing matters until we get to the postseason. That is what matters. So I I get what you're saying that, yeah, the regular season just as a whole, I guess means even less to the Tampa, Tampa Bay Lightning because they've been the best team throughout the course of a regular season. And that was the postseason which they stubbed their foot Tremendously against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So they also have to
1: like, I I know that once you're on the ice, you can't really like, it's very, anyone who's played sports knows it's like kind of hard to go like 70%, right? Once you're, Mm -hmm. once you're really locked in. But if there were a team who would do that, the lightning have played an obscene amount of hockey over the last couple of years. And, you know, that was one of the talking points heading into that series last year between Toronto and Tampa Bay was um is the biggest opportunity in that series that Tampa is just like hasn't had a break in years. This is a thing we run into with the Warriors, the Cavs, the Lightning, um, you know, any football team that that goes on consistent deep runs is there is a cumulative fatigue to that because there is a lot of roster continuity that's how you stay good and yeah playing two extra months of hockey in even higher intensity is tough and this is a team that's done that three years in a row now um so maybe if a team is capable of pacing themselves a little bit it's the
0: Tampa Bay Lightning at this point sure because I think yeah, the the idea, and and maybe the Panthers get hot and and catch one of these two teams, but they're, no, they're, like okay, it's the, done. Yeah, it's it's seemingly it is done. When the Sabers are the team that is on the outside looking into the top three in the Atlantic Division, wow. and and maybe the Bruins are catchable. So that again, wait, watch who, the regular season on Sportsnet every opportunity you get. Okay, yeah. who are you to doubt
1: Tajay Thompson? <laughs> Twenty six goals in thirty two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sabers
0: yeah. are right there. No, they are. Um. Yeah, it was, again, as good as you could have hoped against a team that you're likely to play in the first round. And, yes, as uh, John Cooper kept reminding people, boy, that seven-game series could have gone either way between these two teams when it was, you know, cumulative goals separated by one. In fact, Maple Leafs scored more goals over the seven-game series than the We're Lightning. not that
1: far removed from
0: being a football show. It's
1: On aggregate.
0: On aggregate.
1: Is what we we refer to that as.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, Maple Leaf should uh, build themselves a nice little uh, uh, banner that hangs in the rafters. Won the the series on aggregate against the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: By the way, just speaking of the Sabres for no reason, but other than I I clicked on their team page when you were talking about them being close. Have you taken a look at what is going into their semi-success? Jeff Skinner is having like a bonkers year, like mm-hmm. by far the best year of his career at age 30 playing good, good
0: contract. Turns out,
1: I, I don't I don't know about all that, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're actually only paying him 2.5 million this year. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I got a soft spot for kitchen Rangers guys, the way Dubas has a soft spot for, for guys from the Sioux. So well, uh, nice to see Jeff Skinner doing that. As long as the Sabres say, stay like unthreateningly good.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the, the Kyle Dubas's soft spot for the Sioux Greyhounds, which he's basically hit on. Every, like every Sue Greyhound that he's gone out and acquired, including Michael Bunting, has 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 paid off in spades. Matt Murray, I mean Rasmus Sandin. The 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 roster is of course littered with former Sue Greyhounds. Michael Bunting was the guy that was coming out of yesterday's game as as the the. The topic of discussion today, because he scored the great goal, because he got shoved into the yeah. hallway by a guy he used to play in the AHL against, and Dan Kelly, uh, so it, he said he had no prior relationship with Dan Kelly in his AHL days. I kind of feel like Dan Kelly might have some some it memories. It should have been me.
1: <laughs> I should have been the guy who broke
0: through. Uh, I missed today. Did Sergeyev get fined for that slash? He did, yes. Okay yeah he did he got he got fined for that um but yeah michael Bunting, there was talk before the season in fact that he was working on some sort of extension like long t- there was like a like an eight year ten million dollar deal or something insane that they were talking about michael Bunting getting ten million dollars total yeah <laughs> amazing, yeah, that would be great uh if uh if you could uh you know put pen to paper on that right now, i think if uh, if you're Kyle dubas i I, I think I may exaggerated a little bit, but it was like a longer term deal. For not a cap it. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, Which, but I, I th- and I think this is part of why it makes a lot of sense to move Bunting around the lineup a little bit right now, not only to see who else might click with Matthews and Marner on that or, sorry, it's not even Matthews and Marner anymore, um, but who to see who can click on those other lines, but also to see you know, is Bunting a product of playing alongside those guys? If things, if his scoring cools off, does he have utility in a bottom six role? Like, you need to know those things. It's hard to play alongside superstars, but That skill is not usually something you can pay for unless that guy has, you know, it's the Zach Hyman level lineup versatility.
0: Yeah. Um, They tried this early in the season. There was some, you know, discussion, some thought that maybe the whole idea behind doing that was, was yeah. Research and development Mm -hmm. and finding out exactly what you're talking about. Is this a guy that is a product, you know, 60 point season a year ago of playing on one of the best lines in hockey and lo and behold, he 's next to Austin Matthews again, but producing and and you said it though, like in so you know they Dennis Mulligan, shipped out of town, had an opportunity to play in a top six role, I think uh, sparingly with Matthews, mostly with Tavares, but yeah couldn't like was going double digit games without a freaking point, so it it it, it kind of Reminds me of the Cito Gaston conversation when, you know, he was the you know manager of a team winning back-to-back World Series that anybody could have sat in that chair and managed the team to World Series. But he did it. Yeah. Like, Michael Bunting's doing it. And it's, we have examples of guys that haven't been able to do it. Michael Bunting also a second year in a row with
1: a – I know that when he was in Arizona, the the 10 goals in 21 games was a – oh, that's the product of a ridiculous shooting percentage. And it was, but he's, a, he's above 13% – as a shooting percentage for a second year in a row. Like, this guy can finish in that role, and that's not something that... Everyone else can do like, look at
0: what was a great snipe yesterday.
1: Yeah. And look at what it looks like when, you know, a Kerfoot is coming down the wing in in a situation like he had last night. And it feels like, man, that guy, you know, those don't go in at a 13% rate. Certainly like (laughs) half that, Um, even Engvall, who I think his stats overall, maybe understate his impact a little bit. He just doesn't take a lot of shots period. Mm -hmm. But like they said last night, when he scored, oh, it's his third goal in five, in five games. I look, and he's only got 10 points on the season. So he was really in an extended stretch there of not finishing much at all. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a skill to play alongside those guys. It's a skill to be a finisher. Again, I don't know how willing you are to to pay for it if you don't believe that he could play anywhere else effectively. But, yeah, good for him. Um, that's that's eight on the season for him now. And, and again, right back to 13 – Like. Mitch Barnard and William Nylander,
0: the only guys with better shooting percentages than him yeah. on this team. Well, and if the conversation to Michael Bunting and his representative before the season was, hey, listen, I know you're a guy that spent a lot of time in the AHL and you probably want some security. And I know you took less. You took less than a million bucks on a two-year deal to to be in Toronto and improve your stock and play with some great players. And boy, has that ever paid off. But Mm -hmm. here's how it's going to pay off. We're going to guarantee you, you know, you're going to be well-paid compared to the normal person walking down the street Mm -hmm. for for the better part of a decade. Um, And and that obviously didn't happen. Now, if you're Michael Bunting, you've gone enough, you've gone through enough of the season. I think you are waiting this thing out until the end of the season. You're trying to cash out.
1: Yeah, I think you're definitely waiting. I I think, honestly, at this point, if if it's not a a super discount deal like that, the Leafs have some cause to wait. Like, imagine they had signed... So you said eight years, 10 million as a, you know, tongue-in-cheek thing. But let's say it was, like, four years with a 2.5 million cap hit. Mm-hmm. I think people would be mostly fine with that. Yeah. If the Leafs are projecting their cap sheet forward though, and they were very comfortable with that when Gary Bettman was saying things like, yeah, we think the cap's going to go up 4 million, 5 million, whatever. And now it's like, Ooh, it might go up 1 million. Maybe the Leafs want that level of certainty uh, as well. Here's the other thing. I would never put this on any one individual and Michael Bunting should get his money and get what the market allows. If you were to be the guy who took less uh, mm-hmm. during this cap hell time, and the Leafs had success. Uh, you would be a made man, like, like you'd have to factor in that he would never again pay for a meal, anything for well, the rest of his life. If I contingent on Leafs winning,
0: but a hundred percent, yes. And it, it's it's the, the the star players didn't do that, but he's not on that level, obviously. I mean, his calculated gamble taking less than the market would have allowed um when he signed that that multi-year deal with the Leafs coming out of Arizona has paid off again like oh, he's yeah. he's a known commodity he's a local kid he's playing on the top line he's playing with Austin Matthews it's going well for for Michael Bunting uh and well done yesterday uh Leafs with one more game this week before they're off for the holiday break as they will play John Tortorella's Philadelphia Flyers tomorrow afternoon uh, in a game that you can hear, oh, yeah. here on Sportsnet five ninety The Fan, really? and then listen to us after that. Yeah, you gonna come in for two o'clock so we can watch it together? Of course. Okay, I wouldn't miss it
1: for the world. I can't. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna listen to the first period on the radio on your drive in. No, and then join me from there.
0: No, no, no. I'll be I'll be in early. Uh, to avoid the snow, which is apparently coming. Uh, yeah, this is another thing. Analytics ruining weather.
1: Yeah the the actual forecast says no precipitation, but there are like weather warnings and stuff. This is,
0: I don't know what to make of this. I, I'm on high alert because the the last time we had something of this ilk, I, and I, I feel like it was, you know, the the, the warnings were kind of similar a couple of weeks ago. It was, a, I think it was a Thursday as well. It. Didn't even rain. So, yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical, to say the least. Yeah. We, we are as good
1: at projecting snowfall two or three days out as we are projecting things like Matt Murray's save percentage when he comes to Toronto. So uh, weather and goaltending just in the, in the black box still.
0: Yeah. I'm not buying it. All right. Me neither. All right. That was today's top story brought to you by Thornhill. Toyota. Elsewhere, uh, they're really mad in the Bay Area right now. Um, luckily the, the views are, are beautiful. And actually I think the weather is now it's good in San Francisco. Um, the weather is, is bizarre as Mark Twain once said, right? Like the, the, the coldest winter I ever spent was summer in, in San Francisco. I think like winter is actually like good weather there now. Anyways, to the point, <laughs> there is no Carlos Correa coming to the San Francisco Giants. They whiffed on him at the absolute the, last second. Did they whiff on him
1: or... Like, I, I don't know where we can... They absolutely do not have Carlos Correa anymore, and it's a mm. huge swing through their offseason. They went from getting an elite all-star caliber shortstop on, a like, a new face of the franchise-type well, deal. And then before that, they had Arson Judge. Yeah. And I believe they thought they were in on Trey Turner at one point, too. Sure. It's not great. I just mean that the... The blame, I guess, or how this played out is still, like, developing. Sure. We don't know because the Giants aren't going to come out and say it, and Scott Boris and Carlos Correa certainly aren't going to come out and say it. Mm. What the heck the Giants saw in the medicals that the Mets didn't care about or didn't care about. They, they gave them one less year and, and, like, 30 million less in change. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously they didn't care about it enough. To not sign him for, you know, what,
0: three eighteen, three hundred and fifteen
1: million, three hundred uh, yeah, million?
0: Twelve year at three hundred and fifteen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what is this mystery ailment that the Giants were worried about enough to open the window back up for the Mets to sneak in and the Mets don't care about it?
0: Yeah, it's really bizarre. Like Carlos Correa apparently was all dressed and ready to attend a media conference yeah. today. And like a Canadian potato chip. All <laughs> dressed, ready to go. And then uh the Giants decided, thanks, but no thanks. We think you're going to turn to dust soon. I, d- I don't know. Um, and then Scott Boris got in the horn to Steve Cohen in Hawaii, who's like sitting down with a cocktail and over like four or five hours direct in direct conversation with the owner, hammered out this $350 million deal for Carlos Correa, who's pretty good shortstop. But not as good as Francisco Lindor, who's so going to play third base. And as Boris said, Carlos
1: Correa, and this was true on the market, and, and anyone who would have signed him would have thought this. Heck, even if you were a Blue Jays fan who wanted to get in on Carlos Correa, the question would have been which guy moves off shortstop. Scott Boris was up front about he is a shortstop who will eventually have to move to third base Mm -hmm. and in this case like Lindor's apparently one of his best friends yeah they play on the national team together for the world baseball classic Um, that infield now by the way do you think Chris Chris Bassett spoke so highly of getting to play getting to pitch in front of Matt Chapman again Uh the infield he left is now Carlos Correa Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil yeah that's a really that's a really good defensive infield
0: yeah it's it's all right it's a pretty good offensive infield i would say yeah. as well like, but they have like three shortstops <laughs> playing the infield that, that's that's good it's also very expensive infield so this is where we we get to um i think the crux of the conversation where steve cohen kind of you know let everybody know that when he entered the fray as an owner of a major League baseball franchise that uh these competitive ta- balance taxes would be no obstacle to him, and he is certainly putting his money where his mouth is. As the estimated payroll is is around three hundred eighty four million dollars for this upcoming season, and if it is three hundred eighty four million, the tax bill on top of that hundred and eleven million. So that means your payroll is almost five hundred million dollars. Um, for this upcoming season and in baseball history, this is according to Jeff Passan. No team has come within $150 million of that number. Uh, so if you're a Mets fan, you're ecstatic. I think as a baseball fan, just in general, especially if you're a Blue Jays fan and you play in the opposite league, uh, that I think you should also be ecstatic. I, I, I think this is an all, you know, uh, rising tide lifts all boats situation. But that is like, this is... Shaken up the economics of the
1: sport, to be sure. We have seen, and the NBA is a different animal because it's a capped league and there is salary floor, which is really important here. Where baseball not having a salary floor means the disparity in spending is so ridiculous. Where the NBA, you have a salary floor that's pretty close to the salary cap, uh, which is hilarious to say, but it's because mo- almost every team is over the cap. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a soft cap is what we call it. And there are a number of different ways to go over that. The Golden State Warriors set a record last year paying $170 million and change in luxury tax bill. So because the NBA luxury tax is a bit more punitive than Major League Baseball's, they paid more in tax. but. Their total spending did not reach what the Mets are about to spend. If Draymond Green picks up his option for next year and the Warriors don't shed a salary like a James Wiseman or Andrew Wiggins or something like that, their total expenditure after tax is projected to be $483 million. Mm-hmm. That is in like year infinity of a dynasty. Yeah. And it's, be- it's the cost of all of your guys who you want a bunch of championships with being at the tail end of their big fat contracts. It is not we went out in one offseason and decided we were going to have a 500 million
0: dollar So let's let, let let's talk about that because um What's so great about sports is that it's a meritocracy, right? Is that the the, the best players, they get to play no matter who's your daddy and, and where you came from. If you can play, you get to. Are you to...
1: trying to do like a Nepo
0: baby thing? No, I, I Twitter's was, been. No, yeah. I, I know. I saw it's that It's was... the Jays entire infield building strategy. Yeah. Bo, Kevin, Vlad. Yeah, but if they stink, they don't get to play. And Kevin kind of stunk and he didn't get yeah. to play. Um, Although it's you know, he's exceeding expectations by even being in the major leagues right now. That's beside the point. Um. So there's one the, – the, the Warriors are, yes, maybe going to spend this amount of money on players next season. By the way, NBA team's much smaller roster. So, yeah, per player, yeah. much higher. But um, these are, like, what, 80% drafted and developed players by the Golden State Warriors. And they won four titles already. Like, this is the cost of four championships. Yeah, um, and we'll get to, you know, the correlation between payroll and championships in Major League Baseball, which is pretty strong, by the way. Um, but this is, there's not, there is some skill, and I understand I just did the Cito Gaston being in the chair for the Blue Jays winning a couple World Series. Like, you do have to, like, if you're Brian Cashman, or you know, you're a GM of one of these high-spending organizations, there's more to it than just... You know, carte blanche go out and getting the best player, except this offseason, it kind of does feel like that for the Mets. Like, I feel like my seven-year-old might have been able to just throw the most money at all the best players, which, again, I I think it's good. Like, I'm not disparaging the the, the Steve Cohen thing. Like, if I had $17 billion, which is apparently his net worth, and I owned a Major League Baseball team— hell yeah, I'd be trying to win a World Series with whatever it took because, oh no, I'm going to lose a couple hundred million dollars maybe and probably not, by the way, because you play in New York City And you're going to have a full building for 81 home games this upcoming season, not to mention the amount of attention and 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 the legacy. There are legacy benefits to winning a championship financially, right?
1: Like the Raptors are still experiencing that ticket prices now are much higher than they were before. Merch sells way more now than it did before because you have that championship halo and you built more fans. There is a legacy benefit to being a really good sports franchise. If you're in New York, where you get to have that market, have a ton of nationally televised games, I'm sure they'll be flexed into just about every spot they're not already in. 100%. And you get the potential to brand yourself kind of as, now, they've lost the the ability to do the, well, the Yankees are the big spender, we're the underdog team. That's gone. No. But you can be the, hey, you're a New Yorker who... Doesn't like the Yankees or didn't grow up with the Yankees. You got the Mets, and we're here for or new fans who are coming to the the, the sport and, and things like that. On and- top of which, like. They've also built this team with like really
0: cool, likable players. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like, if so, I would say that they're not hateable yet because they haven't won anything, right? Like, despite the fact they won 100 games, uh, yeah. they didn't even win the division this sure. year, right? Um, if they go out and rattle off a couple of World Series in a row with this like half a billion dollar payroll, which is only going to embolden Steve Cohen anymore, they will become a hateable group. Will.
1: But there will also be people then who dig into, well, I was there from the start. Mm -hmm. You hate us now because we're winning. Like, I I just, I think there are uh, so many benefits of doing this. And yeah, the the conversation of parity or equity across teams is tougher in baseball because there's no spending floor or whatever. But I don't, I think if this were and every year there's a new owner who completely disrupts the finances of the game, that could be an issue. I don't think it's an issue that one rich owner comes in and is like, you guys are all rich, and there's no salary cap, and you've all been pinching pennies and like being accused of colluding and stuff for years. Yeah, I am just going to spend the money I'm allowed to spend on really good players. And look, if you are the... I don't know, pick a team. If you're the Washington Nationals and you don't want to spend with us or you're the Boston Red Sox and you don't want to spend with us or you are the Oakland A's and you treat this team not as a sports franchise, it's only a public good when it comes to tax time or stadium time. The rest of the time, it's just an independently owned profit center. Like, go away. Yeah. Uh, Teams like the Oakland Athletics who will cry about this. If you're another rich team you are allowed to do this too. Like yep. I, I think it's it's good to have a disruptive owner like that every so often to, to just kind of remind the other owners, you know, what business they're in and, and that it's not like there is a
0: revenue component to the
1: profit equation. It's not just the cost.
0: Part of the equation. All right, uh, th- we'll probably hit on this again before the end of the show. I would just like to, to put a capper on it by saying, yeah, I mentioned the correlation between payroll and World Series championships since the wild card was instituted. So, yeah, and, and the playoff format has changed significantly over that span, but since nineteen ninety five, so that's the, the the sample we'll we'll go with uh, since the wild card was instituted. Thirteen of the twenty eight World Series winners were top five in payroll, so that's almost half. Like, you're, you're not guaranteed anything, and there's been some big spenders over the years. Like, the Tigers spent a ton, a ton, and they're consistently in the top five in payroll until recently. The Angels. The exist. Angels were there, too. So it doesn't guarantee you anything, but you got a pretty good shot. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think the Mets have a pretty good shot. Good players are expensive. <laughs> yeah. You have to have good players to win unless you're the 2015 Kansas City Royals. Yeah, this all adds up. Uh, all right. Uh, We'll probably continue this conversation uh, with our next guest, Bomani Jones of Game Theory, which uh, starts season two on January 20th. He joins us next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. drive time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, and Blake Murphy. On January 20th, season two of Game Theory starts on HBO, hosted by our next guest, Bolani Jones, kind enough to join us uh, today. How's it going, Bo?
2: Hey, man, I'm doing all right. How about you guys?
0: Uh, doing very well. Happy holidays to you. Um, I, I want to start with the Steve Cohen thing, because he's worth a lot of money. Uh, 16 billion or so. He's spending a lot of it on, on payroll for this upcoming uh, Mets season, about a half billion if you include the, the tax payment. And apparently, like, the tax payment is going to be a lot more than, like, a bunch of teams' entire payrolls in Major League Baseball. Just, like, it, it, as a general starting off point, like, it, do you think this is a good thing for baseball and maybe for, for sports a, as a whole that he's spending so much on payroll?
2: I mean I don't see what's bad about it. Um there's a man that's got a bunch of money and he wants to give it to people. I, I, I can't find the bad scenario with it. Now are there some owners who cannot compete with his money? Certainly. They always have the option of selling their teams to somebody who's got more money. And there's always somebody who's got more money who would love to get involved in this game and be able to say that they own a team. But as it being bad for baseball, what I
0: think is probably the worst thing that happened to baseball in the last 20 years. is losing- Oh, that was, <laughs> man, I'm on such a cliffhanger right now.
1: I don't I even want to talk.
0: <laughs> oh man. What was the thing that was the worst thing for baseball recently? Okay. You guess, I don't know. Um, not steroids because steroids were kind of good because, uh, you know, a bunch of guys hit a, a bunch of home runs and it revived the game after the, the strike of 94, uh, the designated hitter, universal DH—that's what killed. me. No. I think
1: he was doing something <laughs> like financial. Yeah, and I don't know who he was going to pin it on. But yeah, the the idea that dollar per win is as important as total wins is where I think he was going with it. But yeah. I don't know. He's, right. he's back. <laughs> we'll ask the man himself, Bo. That got cut off at the most dramatic point you said the thing that I think has hurt baseball the most is, and then we lost you. So what is that thing?
2: Uh, All right. That thing is George Steinbrenner dying, right? Mm -hmm. Like somebody who just tricked off money on a baseball team. Like I got a buddy who's a car junkie. He's got a 1985 Mustang. And the whole reason that he got the thing was to blow money on it just because he likes working with cars. And so he tricks money off on that. And that's how he enjoys himself. That is what a baseball team would be to me if I was as rich as these guys. Just something to trick some money off on for fun. Um, I don't care how much profit they're making or anything else. You made all this profit doing this other stuff. Why are you so worried about your baseball team making money? So, yeah, Steve Cohen dropping all this money, I'm with it. Because there's some rich dude out there whose ego is hurt watching it, and he's going to want to trick off a bunch of money in the same way. And that will make baseball better. Will there be a bit of a gap? Well, not all the money they spend is going to be a good idea. A lot of that is going to wind up catching on fire, and a lot of teams have shown that you can pull this off with young players, right? Like the way free agency typically works is one, one team gets to pay for this one era for very cheap, and then the next team overpays for the miles that the person racked up on the first deal. That's typically how this goes. So, no, I got no problem with this man tricking off all this money.
1: I have no problem with it either. And I actually think that, you know, you laid out hey, there are other billionaires out there who will be eager to spend to match that if someone sells their team the even better thing is there are very rich people out there who own teams and are mad about this because they want to skate by spending nothing on their teams and crying that it's a public good when it comes time to taxation and funding for stadiums and things like that but then they don't want to spend the money to be competitive they just want to take in the revenue sharing the national tv money Uh, anytime a rich person like that is upset i think that's a win for all of us
2: and if you can't afford to keep up, you are always welcome to sell your team to somebody who can. You like you are not entitled to your baseball team. If you don't like the circumstances that you're under, just sell the team to a real baller,
1: like the Phoenix Suns have just done. Um, although a little bit under duress in that case, or, or being forced into it, but the Suns sell for four billion dollars, uh, reportedly. The biggest takeaway from this I took, and we went through this with the Donald Sterling saga in 2016, when at the time Steve Ballmer's purchase price was one of the biggest we'd ever seen for a sports franchise. Uh, I know you talked about this a little bit already, Bo, but I want to ask you here as well. You see the $4 billion ticket price as Robert Sarver is being basically forced to sell. uh, Man, there, there are just no consequences for people at that level of wealth, right?
2: Well, not if you evaluate consequence in monetary terms. Right. Right. And so there will be no monetary consequence that you could ever impose upon such a person that would matter. Like, let's say that he had a pile somewhere with $5 billion in it, and then somebody goes over there and takes $4 billion off the pile of five there's going to be no functional change in his life, even if he loses all the money. Like, they're not going to get hurt in the pocketbook. And I think that all of us broke people (laughs) can look at it and just be like, well, how are you punishing him by giving him $4 billion? Well, if you want to look at monetary terms, the value of that team was only going up, so you're forcing him to sell earlier than he would to maximize the value. There's that thought. But the other part is there are only 30 NBA teams, and I guarantee you he used to get off on the fact that he owned one of them, and now he doesn't and that is what the consequence ultimately is for this because you can't just take his stuff from him like it's not like the league owns the team and they lease it to him and then they can show up in a victim or they can show up in four i mean basically what they did was they foreclosed right they foreclosed they sold it they paid off the note and they let him keep the rest it's just a way to look at it but that's i don 't know what else people expect in a circumstance like this to happen, but he's always going to have this on his name mm-hmm. there are, There are consequences that you can't see on a balance sheet, and you got to go look at those
0: yeah uh doesn't get to sit courtside anymore uh He's persona non grata in in, in that league in that sport um so four billions it's a pretty high uh price tag it's like double what or almost double what the nets uh sold for like not that long ago. Is there a limit to this? Like, is, is, are we going to be at some point in the not-too-distant future seeing somebody pay an exorbitant amount for a pro sports team and then regret that price? Like, it, this can't continue forever, can it?
2: Um, It can and it can't at the same time. What is going to probably happen as these valuations go up is that we're going to wind up with some con men who get in there. You know what I mean? Because it's going to be hard for people to legitimately come up with this money. I think that kind of thing can wind up happening, but the scarcity factor is always going to be there. There are only but so many of these, and recent times have shown us we're getting more and more billionaires every day, like the distribution of income in the United States is moving very, very quickly toward a whole lot of poor people and a whole lot of rich people with more ultra-rich people than we've ever had. So there's always going to be people who are willing to trick this money off on it because ego is going to throw them in in that direction. What I think the leagues are going to have to be careful about as this happens is There were different points where they clearly didn't check out people's paperwork nearly well enough, and they wound up with some funny money that was in there. Frank McCord, owner of the Dodgers, winds up being a great example of that. Are they going to cut corners in that way trying to get this money? That, I think, is going to be the question, but the prices are going to continue to go up.
1: The other question that comes up to me, and this is a difficult one, and and it's come up before. It's not a a novel concern, but if I'm the players union and I'm a couple months out from the CBA opt-out date and these franchise valuations keep ballooning, but that's not considered a part of basketball-related income because it's not an income stream until a, a team sells, do you think at a point the players unions around sports try to find a way to get a little piece of that pie?
2: I mean, there's a way to get that pie, and it's called a work stoppage. Right. And if they are willing to go to the mattresses in a work stoppage, they have a chance at making that happen. But that's the only chance. There's no way that the league is ever going to negotiate that. Like, oh, well, hey, why, let, yeah, let's try to figure out a way to get your hands on some money that we're not giving you already. Sure, we're <laughs> down for that. No, there would have to be some significant concessions. And so they're going to have to be willing to go to the wall for it and it's been pretty clearly demonstrated they don't have that kind of stomach for a work stoppage. Not that they aren't willing to endure work stoppage because we've seen that happen, but that's something that would probably take years. And I don't judge them for the fact that they're not necessarily willing to do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, me neither. Um, so just to bring it back to, to the Mets and maybe compare it to the NBA a little bit, that the, the, the golden state warriors, could um given a, a couple of moves be in that same realm as far as payroll spending next season of a half billion dollars of course uh the legacy of the the last number of years is quite different between the Mets and the Warriors I would also you know describe the the way that those two teams will have gotten to that that payroll number is is quite different and um I mean World Series have been won this way by just purchasing the best players do you do you Make a point of uh, demarcation between the way that the Mets might try and compete for a championship as opposed to a team that built through draft and development did?
2: Well, I think that if you are a fan of a team, it is more gratifying when you kind of get to know the players and you go through the struggles with them as they go up and down. It ain't that much fun to root for the Monstars because you can't appreciate any of the along the way stuff. That happens. It's a very bottom line oriented thing, which I don't think is a gratifying experience um, for a sports fan. But look, man, some people play Oregon Trail as a banker. Some people play it as a farmer. The different ways um, that you get through and go with this game. Like with the Warriors, what becomes interesting is they have found a way that they're making way more money than everybody else because of that arena. Like they have a revenue stream that nobody else has got it's a combination of factors that makes it that way but that's what puts them in that position where they can spend that money and they're willing to pay ridiculous tax amounts in order to make it happen now Joe lake says he's going to dial back on that but if you're willing to pay the cost like the system was set up to put in costs to make it such that you don't want to do that the warriors are like fine we'll just go start making more money steve colvin is just like fine i'm richer than all of you (laughs) game's the game man
1: It is the game. Um, so I want to pivot to another basketball question, not really financially, um, you know, not financial related, but this is a Toronto show and Bo, we're, we're heading toward a trade deadline here in a, in a couple of weeks where potentially for the first time we could see the Raptors in seller mode under Masai Jiri, um, a franchise and a front office that's been this effective for about a decade now. Does it? Like, it, does that intrigue you at all? What they look like as sellers, um, especially with the changing landscape in the, you know, in the Eastern Conference with, you know, the Knicks on the way up and the Bulls potentially selling as well. Like, do you, does that interest you at all? Or, or is that kind of, uh, you know, you you don't care if teams are blowing it up, teams are selling, you don't want to see that.
2: Well, no, I'm curious with that team, like sell and get what? Because mm-hmm. I do think that they're, like, obviously a team that has a ceiling. Like, right? there's only but so far that they can go. They've got – but they got guys. And when you look at the roster and you look at the numbers, you're like, okay, there's something that could be here. My problem when I look at them is the only stuff you guys have to sell is stuff that I would want to keep. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to sell Pascal. I wouldn't want to sell on Adenobia. I wouldn't want to sell on Van Vliet. I wouldn't want certainly, I mean, I know they're not going to sell on Scotty Barnes, but I don't – Sometimes you look at a team where you wind up where you're like, well, what are we going to do to make the team better? And the only way to make it better would seem to me to be to make it worse.
1: Yeah, that's that's I'm with you. And it's hard to get, uh, you know, it's hard to if you are locked into Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes or maybe even OG, it's hard to look at the moves that uh, make you worse now and make you better in the next two years. It's kind of you got to go all the way in one direction. Um, last one for you from me. Bo, uh, Matt Ryan getting taken out for Nick Foles. Is this Jeff Saturday trying to win or trying to tank?
2: I think that is Jeff Saturday reading the locker room and being like, oh, I think we got to do something different. I mean, I really think it comes to that. I mean, Matt Ryan is finished. So going to another guy that we think is finished is not really that terribly insulting. He went to Ryan when he got the job because Sam Ellinger thing. Never seemed to be a good idea in the first place, and I imagine was not playing well with the grown-ups in the locker room. But after you blow a 33-point lead, a lot of that had to do with Saturday, but also I do think Matt Ryan is cooked. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that – I do not believe for a second that Jeff Saturday, who doesn't need the money, is out here losing all purpose. He would, I don't think he would have left his house to do that, to be perfectly honest.
0: Uh it is Bomani Jones. You can follow him on Twitter at Bomani underscore Jones. Uh and you probably already do that because uh, you have more than a half million followers. <laughs> that being said, Bo, you're not slapping down uh repliers all that much anymore, but you still do. You're very active on Twitter. But are we a better society if if Twitter doesn't exist tomorrow?
2: I really wanted to go away. Like, <laughs> yeah, me too. I kinda have to I I kinda have I kinda have to stay because it's there and I've got like work related stuff around it. But the day they tell me that we don't have to do that no more will be a fantastic day. I do not believe that it is a net positive, um, on society at this point. I don't like people are like, well, where are we going to go? If there's no Twitter, I'm like, I'm not going to the same place that y'all were just at.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Um, Bo Jones, uh, season two of, uh, game theory on HBO starting on January 20th. Thanks so much for this, Bo.
2: No problem, man. You guys have a good one.
0: You too. Bomani Jones. Um, yeah, I feel an obligation to be on Twitter and it's probably not as much even for the tweeting out things cuz I don't do that a lot. Honestly, it's just like a a a news gathering tool or like an opinion gathering tool. Like a it's it's the way I gather some sort of consensus, uh opinion on on way the winds are blowing on certain topics. But I hate it. Like I really I really don't like it. And I I the reason I don't tweet any more or don't tweet all that much is because yeah it's just it's a toxic place man I just I'm not a fan (laughs) yeah it is toxic it's uh you know you
1: have to be careful how you curate it and how you interact with it and I've gotten better with certain parts of it over the years and certain parts of it don't bug me anymore or get to me anymore there's the odd time it still does and I find it very valuable because I've been on there a long time and used it a ton for work so like Mm. I'm not in this position if I don't have Twitter to get my work noticed originally and things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, like, I have curated my following list and my tweet deck with my columns and stuff like that such that, for the most part, if when I choose to, I can only see what I need to see. Yeah. And I don't do that all the time because I think it's important to be locked into what's going on in the world. And there are, you know, one of my little tweet deck columns is, a news column so I can keep up with what's going on in the city and what's going on in the world. And you don't want to tune out of that stuff for too long, but yeah, you have the option. This is the thing about Twitter being awful is if you use it right, which maybe that time investment is too much for you, but Mm. if you use it right, um, you can avoid some of the awfulness, not the awfulness. You can't, if you are going (laughs) to tweet, you are going to see the awfulness. You're participating in awfulness. Yeah. Um, but you can limit the, like, hey, there's no way to avoid this. We're going to show it to you no matter what. Like, people complain about, say, like, the Twitter algorithm and stuff, and they log in, and it looks, you know, things aren't in order, and they're being shown things that they are not interested in seeing. Well, I use TweetDeck so much that I don't have, like, everything on mine is just chronological, but, like, tells tell a normal person using Twitter normally to get tweet deck and set up the tweet deck columns. No, that makes no sense. It's just, uh, for the average person, it's
0: a toxic place and you've conquered Twitter is what you're saying. You've no, because it it's
1: very bad for my mental health too. I just have acknowledged that I have to use it for work. And I've been on there a lot over the years and you, you find ways to cope.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, coping, speaking of coping, uh, Giants
0: in on uh, Michael Conforto now. according well, they, to the seasons lawsuit. They, they, they are. I mean, nobody's happier that this Correa thing happened than Michael Conforto, who also, you know, has Scott Boris as an agent. So can't play shortstop though, Michael Conforto. Well, it doesn't matter at this point though. If you're the Giants, you need to save face in some regard. Like I think in a, in in gen generally speaking. Like, just spending money for the sake of spending money or making a splash for the sake of making a splash is a bad idea. And maybe Michael Conforto is exactly that, although I don't even think if you're maxing out your Michael Conforto money, whether it's really inhibiting, right? Like, what's the most he's getting? Like, is he even getting it two years guaranteed after missing an entire season and the last season he was playing was only slightly above average? Probably
1: not. Like, does the Correa situation, like, taint the water for Boris? Giants negotiations from here like we we had heard for a while that like the Jays front office until a couple years ago didn't really do Boris clients for whatever reason and the other tough thing for San Fran is that like not only are there not very many good free agents left the ones who are are probably on the pitching side and they already have like six or seven starters
0: yeah no they they don't need pitching they could have really used a Carlos Correa type. And you know, for a brief fleeting moment, they, they did have him. Uh, they should
1: flip Ross Stripling to Toronto for uh, <laughs> yeah. whoever.
0: I don't know. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll monitor that situation. Uh, we'll, we'll get back into the Steve Cohen conversation, the Carlos Correa conversation, and the Blue Jays conversation with our next guest, Adnan Verk uh, of MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Also, Variety came out with its top 100 movies of all time. I don't know if you've seen that. Maybe
1: I we'll... looked at the top
0: ten. Yeah. All right. Maybe we'll talk to Adnan about that next. The Fan Drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet five ninety The Fan.